And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Red Alert! All hands to battle stations! Engage! Captain Picard is a pain, isn't he? Interesting. No redeeming qualities. I think you should be destroyed. The great Captain Picard of Starfleet falls to Earth. Go back. Thou shalt most certainly die. Protect yourself, Captain, or they'll destroy you. We are dangerous. What can I offer except myself? Test it down to it, please. Get us out of orbit! One minute to auto-destruct. No! Welcome to Star Trek Monthly Monday number 60. This is the Next Generation episode. I'm Chris Honeywell, and I am here with Scott Rifen. Not Scott Hello. Gardner. Yes. That's right. Scott Gardner's I'm... computer dies and the guests come out. <laughs> I'm trying to put on my DJ voice. Your radio pro voice? Yes. Welcome. <laughs> That's that's my stadium announcer voice, actually, because I do the stadium announcing for the high school teams in town, too. Damn, that's man, more... you are a busy man. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, today, today, you know, we got I got here, you know, what, 30 minutes ago, I called you. I had walked in the door. I had not been in the house since five o'clock this morning. So that's those are my days. And then and then this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then this. So my wife went, oh, yeah, I remember you. Some twisted form of relaxation, almost. <laughs> well, let's see. Uh, headphones, microphone. Yeah, pretty much the whole day. Well, I want to thank you, first off, for co- popping in on such short notice. I was excited you asked. I, I, I thought mean, it would be hard to get somebody for the Next Generation episode. Usually the the original series, it seems like that would be a pretty easy one, especially with something like the Apple with goofy white-haired natives and stuff, but it takes a special kind of cojones to tackle you know, just a random TNG episode in the third season, you know? Yeah, and I, I will not lie and, and the I comic. will tell you <laughs> Yeah, and I will tell you I was a little intimidated because I'm not really a next-gen guy. So, but I I decided to suck it up and just do it. 
and it's strange because Hero was around during you know he sh- he he was another one that should have been a next gen guy and ended up being a a um an original series guy. But that begs the question, um, since uh, since I never have any kind of Star Trek: The Next Generation news, because <laughs> there's just nothing happening in, there the, isn't in the, any. the world of it. Um, we'll we'll do what we did with Hero earlier on and uh, get your um, your Star Trek origin story, and it doesn't have to be your Star Trek: Next Generation origin story. Just what got you into Star Trek in general. I'll just I'll do the whole what thing. What got you here? Think. Yeah, uh, I will tell you the truth. I remember a lot of things in my life. One thing I don't remember is the first time I ever saw Star Trek because I I just as far back as I can remember, there were two shows I had to watch every time they were on, and it was Batman and Star Trek. Mm, I know that feeling. <laughs> Those were the two mm-hmm. shows, and the only artistic ability I had as a kid. My brother is an architect, and he is an amazing designer, and he's. Uh, the new Zaxby's design. He's done it. And uh, me, I couldn't really draw anything other than on a piece of paper, I would always draw either the little gold delta for the Star Trek emblem or a bat logo, and then I'd cut them out and tape them to my chest. I had a sort of crude... I figured out a way of using rudimentary shapes to draw the Enterprise. Mm -hmm. And then I would draw that with phasers coming out of it, and that was my (laughs) only trick. Yeah, I I couldn't go that far. And I remember I was five years old, and my brother brought home this record from a friend's house. And he said, you got to hear this. I want you to, because I'm going to record this onto an 8-track, and I want you to hear this this album. And I said, what is it? It's, it's this group called Kiss. And they wear makeup, and they shoot each other with guitars, and, you know, it's all these flames and explosions. It's great. You're going to love it. But earlier that day, he had told me they were going to show the the very first episode of Star Trek ever. And in the very first episode of Star Trek ever, they actually launch the Enterprise on the five-year mission. And they do it from a giant slingshot on the Earth. And uh, I didn't realize at the time, my parents and my my dad and my brother would just lie to me about things. Because <laughs> <laughs> so, I, was, I was following along with that for a second. Then I'm like, wait a minute. It's... And so I, my dad said, well, I'm going to go back and watch TV. You can listen to your record. And I said, well, well, tell me when Star Trek comes on. Okay. So I had to sit and listen to the whole Kiss Alive album. And it ended. And my dad came walking in the room. I said, well, is Star Trek on yet? He's, oh, it's already over. And I went, what? You made me miss the Enterprise getting launched from a giant slingshot? For this stupid thing? Oh, man. Yeah, I was mad. But, Sounds uh, like you would have gotten along with my old man. <laughs> Was he a deceiver as well? Oh yeah. Uh, I My was old man them. liked to grab you. Like he had to go through new kids because he eventually learned to. But he, you know, I'll show you a trick. Let me let me see your arm, and he would just hold your arm, let it go loose, let it go completely loose, and he'd waggle it back and forth, whack right in the face. <laughs> then he'd laugh, and then he'd go, no, 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 no. I was just kidding around. Let me let me. Uh, we'll do the trick again. Let it go loose, loose, whack right in the face. <laughs> the very short version of the story that I told on the Christmas episode of Dinner for Geeks, and I swear to you it is true, there was this football that I wanted more than anything in the world, and my brother said, I'll get it for you if you want. And he came home, and uh, he said, I'll get it for you for Christmas. He came home, and he had a bag, and I said, is that my football? Said, yes, that's your football. 
And he'd put it up in the closet and he'd show it to me every so often. He'd say, see that bag? That's your football's in that bag. And I'd go, that's great. I can't believe this. You're the best brother in the world. And uh, so then he wraps it and puts it under the tree and it's mushy. And I'm like, what's it? He said, well, I left it in the bag and I had to deflate it so that it would fit in the wrapping paper. But that's it. And my parents are sitting there going, yep, there's your football. <laughs> and it was just one thing I wanted in all the world. So Christmas Eve rolls around and they let me open one present. And I'm going, well, I'm going to open something else because I know that's my football. I'll open something so I can find out what my other presents are. My mom goes, no, open the football. I'm going, but I want to open something else. She goes, no, open the football. <laughs> so I go to get my wonderful football. And I open it up, and it's the paper bag. And my brother says, well, yeah, I left, told you I left it in the paper bag. So I start – it's all rolled up. So I start unrolling the paper bag, and I keep unrolling it, and I keep unrolling it until eventually I've just got a big, flat, empty paper, paper bag. bag. And my dad and my brother are howling. That's sadistic. It's, it's just awful. I was just going to say, dads usually do the mess with your head things, but brothers are the ones who, are the ones who do the, the sadistic stuff. But it sounds like dad was in on it, too. Well, you know, the worst part is everybody in the family knew about it, and nobody <laughs> blew the whistle. Nobody. Are you paranoid now because of that? Well, you know, I, I, uh, I have moments. There's the sweaty palms and all that. But I will tell you this. The story has kind of a happy ending because... My mom saw how mad I was, and she made my brother go buy me the football. So. <laughs> <laughs> but Star Trek, anyway, Star Trek, uh, just Star Trek, you know, one of the, or my early Star Trek stories is being lied to by my dad and my brother. But, um, uh, and then, uh, I mean, I, my fifth birthday party was all Mego figures and the Enterprise, you know, all the awesomeness of the Mego toys, which I don't know if you ever had any of those, but they were just, before Star Wars figures came out, that was the yeah. best thing on earth. No, Scott had all the Mego toys. Oh, they were so incredible. They were just they were just awesome. Right, and then uh, you know when they finally they brought the movie out in '79, and I went to see it, and it was only a couple of years later that I had to find out from everybody else that it sucked because I really enjoyed it. I sat back and I just you know I can still watch that movie. In fact, I pulled it out the other night and sat and watched it. I I think at the age that my friends and I saw it, we were just too uncritical not to like a Star Trek movie you know we were just gonna accept whatever it was and yeah I remember we went to see it and we were I mean the, you know there's all the complaints about it being slow but you know we were just we were just kid you know we were like 10 11 years old and uh, I don't remember being bored no I, at I, all I, no and it's funny because you watch it now and you know one of the big things that gets criticism is that the trip and the shuttle out to the Enterprise but my God, the the combination of the music, it's operatic, and yeah. The effects, I mean, it's just to me, it is just gorgeous. Just soak it in. Just sit back and enjoy it. Good Lord. But uh, you know, there was that, and then when they announced that Next Generation was coming on, I said, "Finally, Star Trek is coming back." And I and I was I was almost I was just seventeen years old, and I sat down. I gave up a Saturday night at seventeen. That's significant. And I sat down and I made myself some popcorn. I said, I'm going to watch new Star Trek. And then it came on and it ended. And I went, what the hell was that? I felt like the paper bag had unrolled and I'd been left with huh. an empty flat paper bag after the pilot episode. This of the was the, the incident at Farpoint or encounter at Farpoint. Encounter at Farpoint. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I really didn't care for it. And, uh, and, and the show never. It never caught on with me because of that very much. There were some episodes I thought were terrific, and then some, more often than not, I just kind of went, eh, okay, I made it through an hour. 
See, I was I was in my first freshman year of college, living in the dorms, hmm. and just mildly aware that it was coming. You know, that it was coming out, but at the same time, I was also completely doubtful about it because I remember how how it went with Star Trek the motion picture and the new TV. You know, first it was going to be a TV show, then the movie, and yes. then it just took forever to to come out. The you know, Phase I remember two. seeing magazine things with production pictures and they're working on Star Trek, the motion picture, the new TV show for years before it came out. Mm-hmm. And so when I started hearing about a new Star Trek show, I was whatever, you know, OK, well, well I'll believe it when I see it. So yeah. then when it was happening and they were making a big deal out of it, I didn't really have I don't think we had a TV in our dorm room. There was a communal TV on our floor. And we, uh, I remember my roommate and I were like, oh, let's go catch the premiere of, of Star Trek. And I was expecting it to suck because, well, I was also not a fan of LeVar Burton. And I was now, why like, is that? Because of Reading, reading Rainbow? Rainbow. <laughs> it's, and I think a couple monthly Mondays ago I was talking about this. I just don't like that approach to talking to kids. Mm-hmm. It it works. I just don't like it. It, it. it annoys me. I like people that talk to kids, like on a peer level almost. You know, mm-hmm. they're still kids, and you know, you're still an adult. But I just don't like that. And now let me read you a story. And the kids respond to it, but I don't like it. And he was just. I remember being a big fan of Roots, but I was expecting reading Rainbow from him. The book, not that television horse shit. On, on, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> on, uh, <laughs> on Star Trek, and I remember walking away from it going, that was much better than I thought. It had the cheesy feel of Star Trek, the TV show, but I could tell mm-hmm. it was going in the direction of not hard science fiction, but mm. hard harder than the originals. They could... They could back it up a little bit and make it a little more realistic and a little more toned down. And they were obviously going for the like more of an ensemble cast sort of thing, which was a big thing in those days, too, because they had. um, Oh, what the hell was that hospital show at that time? Uh, Oh, uh, uh, Chicago Hope. Chicago Hope and ER maybe no ER might have been a little think, later but uh, I think ER was what was that? oh no Saint Elsewhere Saint Elsewhere exactly yeah, yes Saint that's Elsewhere. exactly the one and Hill Street Blues all yeah. these sort of ensemble cast things so I could see that they were going in that direction I think too part of it and maybe I'm wrong on this but I think a lot of that also is how beloved the original series the Big Seven became from the original series while not really getting that much screen time. Mm-hmm. And I think they probably were making an effort to kind of correct that because they they didn't properly exploit it back in the day. Yeah. And I think they had I, – I really think they – I don't know if it was Roddenberry or an ensemble effort. But I think they really thought it out and thought how can we progress this, you know, make this more updated without – making it too much of its time you know too stylistic and making it more science fictiony yeah and and they did, it reminded me of a it, it was more i don't want to say humanistic 
but it 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 it, it, it definitely got more into the touchy feeliness of of everybody's emotions and stuff. They, yes, not that they yeah. had that in the original Star Trek, but it was just overwrought in the original Star Trek. It was mm-hmm. grand gestures of, you know, and and this one would have the the tiny foibles of life in in that. And and I enjoyed it, but I wasn't a rabid fan. You know, I would yeah. catch it here and there, and then I didn't really catch it like the first season first two seasons till they started be going into syndication and would be on every day so yep. i think they would be on like here at like six on the like local fox station they'd be on at six in the six or seven in the evening and then like eleven thirty at night good so, grief so i could catch two yeah they love to double up that we used to have double simpsons to double seinfelds double simpsons and double star treks every day that's when I was uh, see we we're we're in Brunswick and Brunswick Georgia is smack dab in the middle between Jacksonville and Savannah. Oh, okay. So for TV, we got all the affiliates from Jacksonville and all the affiliates from Savannah, and so we had a mixture of two totally different markets. And because of that, and then with with Turner's channel coming in on cable. My big thing was trying to hopscotch around the dial and watch. I could watch Sanford and Son four or five times a day Ooh. if I needed to. <laughs> and I would, too. I Don't blame me on that one, man. I can never get enough Sanford and Son. Nope. Every Sanford and Son episode is good for at least... It's the same as WKRP in Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. There's at least... Some are funnier than others. Some are flat out hilarious, but there's always going to be like one good, solid, earned belly laugh. Yep. In every single one. Yep. Red, every time. Red Fox is going to say something so politically incorrect, and and rude and out of nowhere. Ah, oh, I love it. I love it. And if Anna, and if Anester walks in, you know the show's just going into overtime. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. But yeah, that my Star Trek origin really is is I don't ever remember there not being a Star Trek. That's mm-hmm. you know if you have to boil it down into a nutshell, I just I don't ever remember not watching it. Yeah, I remember. I I mean I remember Star Trek back into like the fevered memories of a little kid, you know, catching it on TV, mm-hmm. where you don't even understand what's going on. I think, you know, probably my yeah. short-term memory was about 10 minutes at that time, you know, so a commercial <laughs> break would kill you as far as story goes, but, you know, I, I remember Devil in the Dark. Mm-hmm. I remember, I remember actually, I think my earliest Star Trek memory now, we're digging, it's like, this is like a, a, a therapy session. <laughs> I remember, Sorry. and I can't even remember which episode it was, but somebody was possessed and they put her inside of a vacuum they put her inside some sort of chamber in the in engineering and i can't remember if they were depressurizing her or pressurizing her and she was talking in a in, in a male voice she wasn't doing something with a crucifix no was it wasn't the okay. exorcist <laughs> <laughs> but it was similar to it yeah or at least it was and i remember it scared the hell out of me Oh, yeah, that's you're kind of scaring me. <laughs> that's what I'm here for. <laughs> I think you're you're scared and disturbed now. Wait till I whip. I don't have no idea what it's gonna be, but uh, 
get something going in Photoshop. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think we're ready to go into uh, right. the actual episode, which is the ninth episode of the third season, The Vengeance Factor. Yes. And, uh, oh boy. Um, this was another one where, okay, well, you know, I guess I should start off by doing my synopsis. I'm not used to it because yeah. Scott Gardner usually d- whips out the nitpicker's guide. Ah. This time I went, I went online to look for some synopsises, synopses of this to read. And then I decided, you know what? I'm just going to write my own because okay. all the ones on all, all the ones on live I went to uh, like memory alpha and it was it was in it's depth long. it was like a treatment almost yeah i read that one cuz after i watched the episode i went did i understand this let me see what they said <laughs> yeah <laughs> just wanted to make sure i got it so uh yeah i like to leave a lot of a lot of the details out for for actual scrutinization afterwards anyway so let's give a sort of general sketch of the story so uh we'll see how i did i was doing it i was doing it real quick so we'll see if my english holds up here okay (laughs) yeah this is yeah this i haven't done a rewrite on this one all right all right the vengeance factor After finding a trashed Federation outpost, Picard traces it to the work of space gypsies, the Gatherers. Picard and the Enterprise go to the Gatherers' homeworld, Akamar 3, and talk to their leader, Sovereign Maruk. And they talk her into basically giving the Gatherers a second chance and ending their self-imposed life of piracy. So they go to meet Gatherer leader Brule, or Brawl? Brule? to negotiate their return. Meanwhile, Riker's kind of taken a shine to Maruk's cook, Utah. But Utah has a secret. She is avenging her family against another clan. A, uh, and, and this is something that's kind of a remnant of Akamar's three past of, of family battles. And uh, this is supposed to be long over. And uh, she gives one of Brule's men the Vulcan death grip and he dies of a heart attack which is just sort of blamed on his age Crusher though is suspicious and traces a 50 year history of similar deaths of people in the same genetic line Brule is sold on the reconciliation and takes Maruk and the Enterprise to meet Chorgan the gatherer leader Chorgan meets the Enterprise with phaser fire but Picard soundly thumps their shields and negotiations begin Turns out Chorgon is Utah's next intended victim, but Riker and Crusher are onto her. Riker beams over just in time and reluctantly disintegrates Utah. He sheds a single <laughs> tear, and Picard offers him extra shore leave. The end. And it, and it, it was, it was, uh, he did regretfully vaporize her, but he did vaporize her. Yeah. Um, that's where the story lost me. <laughs> not that the, it's not full of we'll get into some of the goofier elements also mm-hmm. but that that scene okay he does he does the thing where he he stuns her and and it stuns her again and she won't stop approaching this guy so i'm assuming i wasn't really sure she was serving him a drink and i wasn't sure if maybe 
the poison was in the drink or she was going to touch well, his face like the other guy. Yeah. But if I were Riker, I think a lot, he could have saved himself a lot of uh, later heartbreak by just walking up and decking her. <laughs> yeah. Knock yeah, her he out. He could have tackled her. It's yeah. the old fashioned way. Don't they? They learned hand to hand combat. Grab her arms and handcuff her. You know, she, the, the guy, um, I'm very surprised. Um, that her Vic, that Chorgan didn't just get up from the table and take a few steps back. That would have helped a lot. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it was totally unnecessary to disintegrate her, except to make a dramatic moment for Riker. Yes. Well, it, and the weird thing about the whole thing was, and th- and it was funny because you know what I was thinking about? I was thinking about sitting on the edge of forever as I watched this. Mm-hmm. Because, and, and I was actually thinking really in depth about City on the edge of forever for no good reason. Have you ever read the original Harlan Ellison draft? Yeah. Now, I know a lot of people love it and say it's, but I don't care as much for it as I do for the original episode. Because to me, the episode gives more reason for Kirk and Edith Keeler to kind of fall for each other. It seems a little more, oh, by the way, in Ellison's draft. And the whole Riker and Utah falling for each other, and I don't know if she's a Mormon, if that's why they named her that or what, but uh, <laughs> I. The whole, the two of them falling for each other just, well, I'll just say this. Everything in the story just seemed to kind of just happen. And very, I was surprised how quickly the episode just hit all its points and then got off stage. Yeah. The the, the next gen is, I I think, notorious for doing, and and I shouldn't say notorious like it's a bad thing, but they'll, you know, they set this one up um, just if, if you're following the tone of, earlier stories they find this wrecked outpost and then there's a couple of bodies laying there or you know people who are horribly injured and they take them up and i expected either there to be some story around these two people or anything nothing they're gone they're they're, they're done they were just boom just thrown in there and and gone after that and then just in another direction, it all, it reminds me a little bit of the Simpsons would do that. You know, you'd have one story in the first five minutes of the show. Yeah. And then it would just lead into a, a tangent. Yeah. Then that's, it's something totally different for the rest of the show. Yeah. I, I just, I had a hard time buying how deeply he was involved and it, I, I guess it just seemed very manipulative and, and very contrived because he was suddenly very deeply involved for not much reason. And then he suddenly had to kill her when it was fairly obvious he really didn't have to kill her. Right. <laughs> so it, it just all seemed like it was contrived to make Riker have to go through all of this pain and anguish that, again, struck me as Edith Keeler, you know, where Kirk has to let Edith Keeler die in order for the future to unfold the way it has to unfold. Yeah, but obviously Harlan Ellison didn't write this one. <laughs> no, no. Which is which was the line from the last episode, too. <laughs> <laughs> I think Hair Metal Hero said that last time, though. Yeah, well, I I felt bad that Hair Metal Hero didn't do this episode because I thought it was a great guest appearance by Winger as the uh, <laughs> Gypsies. <laughs> I they they were sort of like, yeah, they were sort of like heavy metal, <laughs> but like hair metal Mad Max yeah. style. Yeah, no, if you Google. Do a Google image search sometime for the words animalize, that's one word, animalize, <laughs> I-Z-E, back cover. And it looks like those guys. When I saw I kept going, that's that's the back cover of Animalize right there. Those guys, that they're it. 
Because it was. It was just a. It was an '80s metal band. Well, Chorgan, he looks like. Uh, he looks like Penn Jillette in, in Mad yes. Max dry, drag. Yeah. yeah, he was a little hefty. Yeah. He was. Uh, I guess he would have been the Jason Bonham of the '80s metal. Group. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> yeah, but they all had. They were all like dirty and sweaty and stuff, but they had hair that you that you have to put some work into. Yes, you just don't absolutely. get hair like that, you know. Well, but that's that's all part of the whole. Remember the virus that they assassinated? She assassinated the guy with a virus, and the virus was keyed to the genetic code of these people, and the hair was part of the genetic code as well. <laughs> so, so, and I, you know, one of the other things that got me was, uh, oh, what's her, what's the, the uh, what's her name? The uh, the leader of the uh, um, ba ba ba. I got it written down here. It is what the hell, Maruk? Yeah. Okay. So I'm watching this and I'm going, "How old is this woman?" Because she's been in a lot of stuff. Plainly, she's an old woman. The so word go, battle axe comes to mind. Yeah. <laughs> but I go look her up, and she died in 2001. And 2001, she was like 58. Really? Yes. Yeah, so she's so like they made 45. her up to look. I hope they made her up to look older and and crustier than she really was i don't think so i think she just was rode hard Ooh, wow i mean it could be wrong maybe why she died at 58 rode hard and put away wet yeah very because yeah she just i thought she was ancient on that show and to find out she was maybe 45 46 see what they what they do in next generation that was different than than the original series is characters like her and and Chorgan and um um oh what what was the earlier guy there anyway the earlier guy that they they got Brule yeah um they always start them out in a sort of Star Trek the original series character mold where they're dead set you know and uh, usually it would take a whole episode of original series before Kirk would convince them to change their evil ways. But in this, they usually get a, they'll they'll get them to go along with something, and then they'll put more subtlety into it. You know, there'll be more mm-hmm. a more of a complex conflict involved in it a lot yeah, of times, th- or seemingly, or you know, they try for it. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's yeah. That was the thing. It seems like Brule's Brule had a couple of scenes with Wesley, yes. and I was glad that was really all Wesley had to do that episode because I, you know, I, my I keep having flashbacks. I wake up in a cold sweat thinking about the first season of Next Gen where they it was you could toss a coin and heads or tails, and uh, Wesley was going to save the ship. And uh, I so just having his role be just this little thing, but he seemed to be kind of the catalyst for softening Brule up. And the scenes were kind of cute, but they didn't—they didn't seem to have a major point. They did. They the, the point they had to me was making me like Wesley less, because <laughs> Brule was doing that thing where he's like, "I'm a wild." He's a biker, you know. He, he yeah. comes into the bar and he's just like, "Ah, come into the square bar now." And usually, like, if if it would have been a, a better scene if you had Wesley also fascinated with him at the same time instead of being like you're a bad man who steals things why yeah. would you know then just ha- copying that whole snotty basically starfleet attitude 
<laughs> at least next generation Starfleet attitude with the guy. It would have been nice to have an undercurrent of him being like also interested in a you know being a teenager. You know, you might be interested in a little bit of rebellion. Yeah. Or 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 so. I like the guy's line where he's like, "I've had a lot of friends who didn't like me." Yeah, a lot of my friends don't like yeah. me. That you said so. Yeah, I thought that was a great line. Um, and Uta Utah, she. She was a she was the servant, but yet also the cook. She was like the chief assistant, and also oh by the way, the cook. And so there's a scene where Rikers kind of goes, "Well, good, go cook me something, woman." And uh, I'm paraphrasing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then they're sitting. He and Troy are sitting in the lounge for not a lot of reason. They just seem to be kind of sitting at a table together. Which I don't know about you, but I don't go to restaurants and bars and sit at tables. Just with hang people out randomly. Yeah, yeah. Because then when she Utah shows up, Troy goes, all right, well, I was on my way out anyway. What? Why? You didn't do anything. You sat at the table for a little bit. What was that? I know. She was just so... I, uh, there was no reason to have her there. She was... There was no reason. She was in that scene. They, they could have played... I mean, they could have played a little jealousy off there because... Yes. Their earlier thing, but... If anything, Troy was trying not to be a cock blocker. She was going, no. hey... You know, well, well, oh, you ought to eat dinner with the young lady. Well, I'm just going anyway. See you two yeah. lovebirds later or whatever. Yeah, exactly. I didn't understand unless it was to have her sign off on the relationship, but I didn't think that was necessary. I wouldn't think so. Not in Roddenberry future world where anybody can just have sex when they'd, they'd like to, or at least, you know, that was the... That's how I picture Riker being. I, I picture yeah. Riker being um, Roddenberry's proxy in... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> TNG, where Shatner was before, now Riker is. Yeah. Riker, Riker's just like, I don't care. I'll try anything. Vulcan food, Vulcan women, <laughs> or um, Klingon food, Klingon women. I don't care. Now, steal production wigs for my girlfriends. <laughs> Not a big deal. Did you ever read that book, Inside Star Trek by Herb Solo and Bob Justman? No, I haven't. Absolute 100% required Trek reading. Oh. It, it talks about how Roddenberry, they busted Roddenberry stealing wigs because he was, he was banging Michelle Nichols. Yeah, yeah. Oh, really? And he was, oh. Yeah. And he gave her wigs from the show. Uh, they talk about Shatner's wigs and how when they hired him, his two pages looked so ratty, they commissioned two really expensive hair pieces for him. And after the first season, they all went on hiatus. They came back and one of his toupees was missing. <laughs> And they go to him and they go, Bill, you know, because they custom made them for him. Hey, Bill, uh, one of your two pages is missing. You don't know what happened to it, do you? And he goes, well, well, no. And so they start walking off. And he goes, Bob, you don't think I stole the toupee, do you? No, Bill. No, we don't think that at all. Even though yours is the only head on the planet, it fits. So, but a very, very, uh, and they talk about, you know, that, that, that weight gain as he goes on through the season and it's it's i love that it is required reading i love that stuff yeah oh, i oh, i, I love reading one. about roddenberry too because you know you get the you get two versions of him you get sort of the the cold real version of him and then you get the sort of official you know the Fan fanboyish sort of. I have this great fan book that's sort of like Gene Roddenberry. That and 
and the great just, bird of the galaxy. Yes, exactly. Lots of great bird of the galaxy stuff going on in that. And <laughs> lots and lots of eggshells being walked on to go through the history without saying, oh, he was being a real asshole right here. Or, hey, check out these horrible <laughs> lyrics he wrote for the theme music so he could get paid <laughs> so every time it sold. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I love that. But I love, I love the way stuff something as wonderful as star trek when it's at that huge of a level it, you almost have to have all those things standing in its way you know bad ratings and mm-hmm. and a creator who's brilliant but at the same time he's also kind of a con not not as much a con man but like snake oil salesman yes sort of guy you know at that at the head of it who's just sort of like after you know he's after the ladies and he's sort of it's n- not really like the 60s swinger type of guy but he's almost in there i i wouldn't that's that's probably a way i would describe him <laughs> yeah cuz he was kind of a he was kind of a hippie and uh, you know the whole the whole scene with Utah in here, where where she's sent to his his quarters to to sleep with him, yeah. And he has the whole, uh, and that was a great for oh what this would have to be like what ninety ninety one. It was I think it was eighty nine. Eighty nine. Yeah. You know that was a good um good little conversation on female orgasm for for a yeah. A, a show on that you didn't really hear that getting talked about much or her basically being frigid yeah well so much for the network sensors you have no network so let it fly that's true that's true but uh herb so look that that book is uh i i would loan you my my copy but i loaned it somebody years ago and never got it back inside star trek by herb solo and bob just i see it every once in a while so i'll just pick it up it is time i see it it is almost coffee table. It's an oversized hardcover. Uh-huh. It is just, it is a marvelous, because it's basically those two guys, it's an oral history of their time, you know, because they were both producers on the show. So it is an oral history of their time on the show throughout. Yeah, and and with all this Star Trek stuff, you just sort of have to, it's sort of fun to take, you get all these different books. I love the books like that Shatner writes and and stuff like oh, yeah. that that are just totally from his point of view. And, <laughs> He's rescuing people and oh yeah, running yeah from burning <laughs> runs into the burning yeah and, exactly. <laughs> you know it's and then and then you start and then you get you know other books where everybody's hating on each other and you just sort of try to try to piece out the reality of it. <laughs> It's it's a riot. You'll never get oh, yeah. it. You'll never get it. But you know, I did no. the same thing with the Beatles when I was a kid. I read all the books about how the Beatles were the greatest, and then all the books about like the horrible things John Lennon would do to his friends when he was drunk and stuff. <laughs> yeah, I love all that. Yeah, it doesn't ruin it for me for some reason. It, no. it, that stuff can ruin it for other people whereas to me it just enhances it I love I love watching Star Trek especially ne- next generation and trying to see the stuff that Roddenberry got in you know the the the, the Roddenberry agenda <laughs> popping through here and there which is all, which is his like sort of utopian view of the future but it's also mixed with a hardcore reality of like let's get some sex in here 
and so you know is and some skin going it's just great so you had to say that right after you said hardcore reality <laughs> i got you <laughs> i did i did also appreciate by the way everybody in, I'd forgotten because it's been so long since I've watched Next Generation. I forgot that every alien race has to have some bizarre ridge somewhere on their face. Yeah, these guys ridges <laughs> were, made no sense. They look like they look like really just like stitch it. Like somebody tried to make a pattern out of stitches, but they got horribly infected. <laughs> they, they didn't look like badass, you know, biker scars. They mm. look like pink infected um, rashes that <laughs> were probably yeah. driving them crazy. They, they weren't they weren't effective at all in badassery. You know, they didn't make you scared of them. They might make you scared to punch them in the face because you don't want to touch it, but... Well, uh, what, what was his name? Kroll? I, I, every time I look at him, I go, is that the American flag on his face? <laughs> is, that, is that what that is? Are the stars there? can't because i was watching on my ipad too so it was a little small i guess yeah the one guy who got the vulcan death grip there he was he was vaguely borg like yeah yeah his whole face was striped all the way down the side yeah and then in his leather suit and i think they blew half their latex budget for the week on that (laughs) the funny thing is that suit he wore is has probably been reused as the basis of 15 things since then. Yes. It might even turned up in the J.J. Abrams movies for all we know. And in two or three Judas Priest videos. (laughs) I'm sure I saw that in Turbo Lover. Oh, (laughs) jeez. Oh, I remember when that video came out and, yep. There were there were a bunch of my friends who were holding him up as the the apogee of male um, well yeah paleness. <laughs> He's masculinity. What are you talking about? Of course. Look at all that I, leather. <laughs> well, you know, it, here's here's my thing, and I've been wanting to file this for years. I think I have for that. I think I have a uh, I think I have a lawsuit that I could file <laughs> against the record company. <laughs> Because follow me on this. Is, could this be a class action, perhaps? Yeah, absolutely, could be. Because because the 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 case I'm using as a basis for it was a class action suit. Millie Vanilli. They recorded an album. People bought the album because they liked the music, right? Mm-hmm. Then they found out that it wasn't being sung by the guys they thought it was being sung by, even though they had no idea what those guys sang like beforehand. Now, if the Rolling Stones had made an album and somebody else sang on it, then I think there's a case. But Millie Vanilli, who knew what those guys sounded like to start with? You didn't know them. Right, right. So you bought it because you liked the music, then you should be okay. But they weren't because they were deceived because the songs weren't being sung by the guys they thought were singing it. The Judas Priest album, I bought it because there's songs about straight guys having sex with women. As far as you know. Well, that's... <laughs> there's a... Yeah. So... And and certainly it was marketed that way. There are pictures of them with women, and there are women in the videos. Ergo, when it turned out Rob Halford was not into women, at that point I think that becomes the guy I thought was singing on the album was not singing on the album, just like Millie Vanilli. And the class action lawsuit, they won it with Millie Vanilli, 
So I think I could win it with Judas Priest. Don't you think there would have been a lot of old spinster ladies that would have set the precedent with that with like um, Liberace <laughs> years ago? I mean, there were even girl bands writing songs about how they wanted their ideal guy to be Liberace, to look like yeah, Liberace. I, I remember, I remember my great grandmother, and she was probably ninety-five years old, and one day she. Uh, she got up and she came into the, uh, I was visiting my grandmother. She came in the kitchen and she said, uh, I had a dream last night that I died and went to heaven and granddaddy Lee was there and Liberace was playing the piano for everybody. And I sat back and I thought, you know, you may not know this, but based on your standards, he may not be there with you. <laughs> right. <laughs> just, he might not be in your wing of heaven. Yeah, he might not be there. It's funny about Liberace is I always, like, as a kid, my awareness of Liberace was basically um, Bugs Bunny's yes. impression That's of him. Brother George. Yes. And, yeah, and so I never really, like, I always thought of him as the character of Liberace, who nowadays in modern society, I can't, it's like Paul Lind or something, or, yeah. um, or um, from Match Game. What was the guy from Match Game? Charles Nelson Charles Riley. Charles Nelson Riley. Yes. That I would, you know, if I saw Charles Nelson Riley today, it's like, Oh, of course, you know, yes. <laughs> the same with Liberace. But back then, you know, whatever, I didn't think anything of it. But I never really, like, realized that the true reason for Liberace's fame was he was an insane piano player. Yes. It wasn't only until this year I was, like, watching YouTube and I'm like, oh, what's this Liberace video? And it was him playing a medley. I can't, it was a medley of something... Interesting. I'm like, ah, oh, I'd like to see Liberace playing that song, and it was unbelievable. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, so back in those days, probably everybody did know that he was gay, that were adults, but yes. they were just like so in awe of his talent that they're like, all right, we'll let him slide. We'll let him have one. a pass. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, you know, do you you don't remember the uh, the old Saturday Night Live sketch, Guy Talk? Yes. Joe Piscopo's the host, and they're just—they're very randy guys talking about chicks, and it's—and his guests are Michael Jackson and Liberace. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's my favorite. Hey Lee, you ever get a broomski? Oh, how did we're... we get to Liberace from? Uh... <laughs> oh, maybe it was because we started talking about Wesley. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think I don't there think was any. Was, a... was there any Jordy LaForge in this one? I don't think he was even in it for a second. You didn't get any LaForge after the. Or I, you know what? Actually, I'm looking at it right now. He's not in that landing party. Oh, it's it's Data, Wharf, Crusher, and uh, and Riker. LaForge is not to be found. Wharf would have come really handy when um, Riker beamed down to grab Utah. Yeah. Maybe stop the whole thing. Yeah, maybe beam Worf right between Utah and the, the one guy. Yeah. That might have been a I mean, good idea. Yeah, and then Riker wouldn't have been so depressed afterwards. Yeah, no. He might even, you know, I'm sure, you know, in, in the Federation, there's, well, I don't know if she would fall under Federation law. She would probably fall, fall under Planet's law. But, you know, she still might get rehabilitated. He still could, ha you know, he huh? still might have something down the road. Yeah, but that again, the pacing of the episode was stunning because it just literally flew right through. And I and this is kind of a departure from regular TV. Was this show was in five full acts? I mean, it just every couple of minutes you were hitting an act break in mm -hmm. a commercial. 
And it just that surprised me, too, because I think that helped the pacing because, you know, right at the end of an act, you've always got to have a big plot point. Well, one thing led to another, you know, I mean, I mean, the the awkward moment of not sleeping together is interrupted by phaser fire hitting the ship. Yes. So you just you just never get a chance for the story to stop moving forward at any point, which is which is good for an episode like this, because it, it keeps you from asking the important questions that if it was lingering that you would be asking yeah well and you know and it was a very talky episode but it didn't seem talky because uh, it because it just flew right past i mean there was a lot there was a lot of uh let's just say there was a lot of episode one going on on this thing yes there was a lot of negotiations and trade routes and everything else yeah yeah but you know what they, it was a little more exciting it was a little more impassioned there was a little mm-hmm. more um passion be- between the two sides although just just the speed in which resol- you know basically each time that they would move forward in the negotiations it would just be because picard raised his voice and said look <laughs> you want to do this and this and and then it would soften the heart of the the space gypsy. <laughs> Picard Picard was on his A game in this one, and yeah, he, he, was. Uh, he gets phaser fired and gets a little annoyed and just bam knocks him out, knocks out a the ra- shields. A raised voice and a withering glance got him everything he wanted in this episode. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm hoping that that's uh, we're going to be building on that <laughs> as time goes on. <laughs> Because this is all this is all pretty much new stuff to me. I've caught these episodes randomly in reruns, but I've never watched in sequence beyond. I I probably from season three to the last season, I probably saw a dozen episodes scattered throughout. Well, this is the point where the show is just to me anyway. This is the point where the show is just starting to find its footing. It's it's starting to become the show it became. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, maybe I, I I think maybe I don't feel that as much as like a lot of people did because I watched this mostly in in reruns. So I would yeah. see some four, five, six season six episodes, but then I would see season one, two episodes. So it all became a mush of the characters being established. So, so for you, it was just uneven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was. It was a matter of you know, random luck of what was on that night, and if the one that I was watching at seven o'clock wasn't going anywhere, I could always come back at eleven thirty and and catch that one, you know, mm-hmm. and see how that went. It was very nice though to just have Star Trek on tap like that. Oh sure. Oh sure, I remember putting the the video cassette in and just starting to tape them. I probably still have the tapes somewhere. That'd almost be um at, at this point in time, those tapes would be worth it pretty much just to watch the ads in between. Oh, oh yeah, no, I I uh, I've got one of those uh, VCRs with a hard drive in it, mm-hmm. and then you DVD burner, and I took it's it's football, but it was Super Bowl twenty five, and I was in college, and I was in Tallahassee. And, you know, it's four hours away from here. 
And I basically recorded the whole day, all, you know, 800 hours of pregame plus the game and all that. And so I was putting that on the hard drive and I stopped in one of the commercials. The guy doing the commercial was a guy I know who does car commercials with us now. I had no idea. Wow. And it was and it was so funny because he looked exactly the same 20 years later and his shtick was completely identical to what he does now. Radio, man. Well, do you have anything else on uh, on this episode? I can't really think of much else to say. About no, it. no. The only thing, my last comment again will be a reiteration of a previous comment, which is when you after you watch that episode, Google image search "animalize back cover," and you will see your gypsies. You'll see your gypsies. <laughs> oh my God. Well, maybe I maybe I have a maybe I have a plan for the uh, the Photoshop art for this one too. <laughs> Hi, my name is Mike, and I like comic books. Okay, so what do you think about Ben Affleck being Batman? No, I said I like comic books. That's a movie, and I couldn't care less. Well, it's a comic book movie. Really? Did you go see the magazine movie, or do you watch the television book? I like comic books. You know, those things make for paper, especially the old ones. Whoa, those things. Are they CGC 9.8? No, you're missing the point. I like to actually read comic books, especially the old ones. I like them so much, I even build a website to tell other people about them. Does it have any information about uh, Avengers 2? No, it has info about actual comic books. Lots of covers, creator credits, character appearance lists, story synopsis notes, and so much more. Hmm, that sounds interesting. Where can I find it? It's at mikesamazingworld.com. Do I have to read anything? Reading makes my brain hurt. You can just look at the pictures if you want. Or you can listen to my podcast, where I talk about the history of DC Comics, especially the old ones. So I can listen to a comic book podcast? It's a podcast about comic books. You can find it at twotruefreaks.com. What's it called? Mike's Amazing World of DC History. History? You mean like before Twitter? Yes, the world actually did exist long before Twitter. My show is for comic book fans, especially the old ones. So check out Mike's Amazing World of Comics, the website, and listen to Mike's Amazing World of DC History, the podcast, for information and fun related to actual comic books, especially the old ones. Gathered together from the disparate reaches of geekdom, here in this restaurant booth, are the most powerful forces of geek ever assembled. Ryan, the toy geek. Scott, the award-winning radio host. Jeff, Scott's minion. And Ron, just Ron. Dedicated to truth. Justice and geek for all mankind. It's dinner for geeks.
Dinner for Geeks proudly crusades at twotruefreaks.com. All right. All right. So we got, I guess we'll call it a comic book. Um, yes. We've got DC Star Trek The Next Generation number five. And I guess this is technically volume two. Let me see what it says on the inside. Uh, I don't really think DC, say. DC doesn't track the volumes like Marvel did. Yeah, but it's sort uh, of the second second series. There was like a miniseries. Yeah, it's the one after the miniseries. And they had started with the... Uh, they'd restarted the regular Trek series, and they did this. And uh, this one has... This is from um, February of 1990. $1.50. However, we're getting into the... The expensive yeah. comics. Usually I'm used to like 60 cents being the high end of, of the comics I'm talking about. <laughs> well, this was on Baxter paper. Yes. Deluxe prestige format. That's when I started losing interest in comics, to be honest with you. That's one of the reasons, too. I just don't like the way it looks. Mm. I, yeah. it, it takes away the texture of the paper, which is one of the things. I, I like the way the texture of cheap newsprint paper mutes the colors yeah it does a little of comics so that they have to go really bright with the colors and on Baxter paper they still have that same brightness but it's just too I think it reminds me of some really cheap comics that they used to make in the old days by people who didn't know how to publish comics and would publish it on something like Baxter paper because they were just like I don't know publish it on this that's nice. That's nice paper. It's real white. Yeah. Here. Anyway. Enough isn't, of, isn't this great? Enough about the goddamn Baxter paper. <laughs> uh, the covers by... I didn't do any further research, but someone named J.K. Moore. Yeah, Jerome, Jerome K. Moore. He did a lot of the covers back in that era. And he was, I will tell you this, at that time he was my favorite cover artist. And it always frustrated me because he always did the covers... And he never did the interiors. I would have liked him to do the interiors in this one. Yeah. This oh, a, yeah. This is a kind of romance comic cover with Jordy about to go into a lip lock with a hot brunette. Mm-hmm. Who has sort of, her earrings are vaguely Starfleet insignia. Yeah. All right. Uh, we got Michael Jan Friedman, writer. Pablo Marcus, as usual, the artist. Bob Panaha, the letterer, Juliana Ferreter, the colorist, and Robert Greenberger, the editor. And uh, the name of this story is Seraphin Survivors. Uh, the Enterprise D is on a rescue mission to the disintegrating Seraphin's planet to re- retrieve colonists who had a horrible degenerative disease. Turns out Jordy has an ex-girlfriend, Dahlia, among them. Crusher warns him that the disease has probably rendered her, her a hideous freak, but he doesn't care. But the colonists are beamed up and are in perfect health, tanned and rested. Picard is kind of suspicious and Troy senses that they are holding something back. Yeah, that's a big surprise. Jordy's um, <laughs> G- more sympathetic because he's getting some later. One of the colonists... Uribe is also putting the moves on Troy, who notices an odd hostile moment between him and another one of the colonists. She brings it up to Jordy, but he kind of flips out and has a little Anakin, everybody wants to ruin my fun fit, and storms off. 
and just a weird disjointed ending because that's the yes. end of the story i really yeah. uh i really um cut this one down i cut out the scene there was like a, a weird just sort of there's a weird little character scenes that were are, are a lot like the tv show mm-hmm. but they're just sort of thrown in here one of them's with uh data and a little kid where the little yeah. kid it po- does the m- point at him, mommy, look at the weird man, and then Data has a little moment with him, and then yep. and then the uh, very standard Data misunderstanding humor, yes, moment with uh, with uh, McRib thrown in there for good measure. <laughs> McRib. Yeah, uh, that's what we call the redheaded guy. His name's McRob, <laughs> but we just prefer McRib. There's just. It seems like all, well, whether it's original series or now in next generations, these these characters they create for the comics are usually pretty weak, and yep. we like to mo- McRib is is the TNG version of Konam, the pussified Klingon. Ah, uh, yes, yes. I, I I will just say this about this issue: it was twenty three pages, and or more than twenty three, and nothing happened. Yeah. I mean nothing. No, it was they, it was um um actually it was kind of like the cover suggests it was kind of more like a romance comic mm-hmm. than it it was more about feelings and people talking about it than actual sci-fi action. But that main story of whatever weirdness happened that keep them kept them from being mutated freaks uh it didn't really advance. It just kind of sat there. Yeah. Yeah. Some, well, there was sort of a little slothy off, like, Oh, maybe the radiation of the planet fixed them or something. Oh, sure. Happens all the time. Radiation. Radiation always makes people better. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's just, it always makes them just like new. We know that from experience. Now the, the, uh, Dahlia who apparently had a thing with Jordy, is she a Zeltron? Is she is she purple? She's kind of she's she's very pink. Yes, nearly purple. She's actually it's very, this is sort of similar to the people in the in the apple, where they mm. have that sort of fake tan. She doesn't have fake tan. She's just got the full body sunburn look. She may be on uh, from Jersey Shore, right actually. out of a hot shower or something. <laughs> I, I I was trying to figure out if they were supposed to be humans or not. Yeah, I don't. I think they're too pink. Uh, yeah. I'll tell you when they when they beamed on board in their Thunder the Barbarian outfits, I thought they were kind of uh, maybe rejects from a John Carter comic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so yeah, I I mean I was assuming through all of it that maybe I'm I'm being a space racist by assuming since Jordy had an affair with her that. She was human, but maybe they're just like very close to human humanoids. But they don't yeah. say where they're from, or, no. or anything like that. No, it's, there, there's really nothing about who they are, other than one of the guys is really athletic, and they have uh, both French and Spanish names on this planet. <laughs> uh, yeah, because <laughs> there's there's Uribe, which is you know his Latin name, and then there's Dupont, which is obviously French. Which also, they're also pretty human names. <laughs> yes, much exactly. human names. Also, well, that's we have that we have that tendency to try and 
take our science fiction and make it really exotic and then accidentally screw up and make it totally earthbound. Yes. My favorite my favorite example is in the Timothy Zahn Thrawn trilogy in Star Wars. Can we mention Star Wars on Star oh, Trek? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, the Thrawn trilogy at one point Luke or somebody is eating a a Dubax a roast Dubax sandwich on flatbread which at the time 20 something years ago you know flatbread was what is flatbread now you know you can go to Subway and get it but so it was everything was exotic it's a roast Dubax sandwich on flatbread and I think okay so you made the bread exotic and spacey and you made the meat exotic and spacey but you still called it sandwich which was named after a guy on earth <laughs> the earl of sandwich exactly yeah, exactly <laughs> So that's a fail. Yeah, I don't even think they should try to do stuff like that because then if they if they are smart enough to catch that it shouldn't be called a sandwich, then they're good. Then they can fall in the trap of making up some really stupid name for you know yes. meat between or something like that. You know, <laughs> or some you know just something horrible like that. Meat between. I saw that movie. <laughs> <laughs> I never saw Meet Between. I only saw Meet Between <laughs> 4 through 6, which I heard were the best ones. <laughs> uh, that was also the Meet Between Goes to Asia, which I thought was pretty good. Ooh. But yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, I, what I'm hoping for this story is that somehow in the next episode, things happen fast. Yeah. But there's something... There's something going on. There's, I mean, trying to figure out what's going on. There could be, you know, obviously there's something these guys know that they don't know. I don't know if it's something that's going to cause a danger, but, you know, but, they maybe they have to find mates really quickly or something. That's why they're pairing up with everybody and other guys are getting really jealous know. or they've mentioned something about hostility but, you know, here's the thing, and you know about storytelling. You studied filmmaking and all of that. I mean, you do that kind of thing. And you understand that everything that happens in the first part of this story should be set off, that set up that is paid off later. Or or, and, f or to trick you into thinking something yeah, like that. I can't see anything in here that sets the tone for later at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, oh, by the way, t flip to page 17 really quickly. Okay. I am on page 17 panel two data suddenly turns into black Adam. Holy cow. <laughs> I didn't even notice that for one panel. Wow. It's, it's really funny how different he looks with flesh colored skin. Yeah. Flesh color skin, seemingly pointy ears and a pointy nose. Everything pointy. Yeah. He's got the pointy yeah. chin too. He's almost Vulcan. Yeah. yeah. It just it struck me as Black Adam. Weird. And it's I mean they've been giving him like tones of, he's white basically but they give him like all the light shadows on him are usually like flesh tone or pink. Yeah, which I would have used maybe a, a blue or kind of a, a beigeish. Yeah. But yeah. I'm not the color. Well, that's that's an, another funny thing that's not in the comics is um the earth toniness of the TV show. Yes. And and I, I think actually in this episode, there was, uh, I noticed one of the doors to the lounge was like wooden, you know? Yeah. Oh, yes, yeah. To the 10 forward, yeah. yeah. 
You're absolutely right. I was noticing that as well. And it's funny you say that because that's one of the things that was really jumping out at me when I was watching the episode was how much earth tone there was in it. Mm-hmm. Because it because the original series was very, you know, it was there was a bright red and a bright blue. Yeah, it was very bright colored everything and but uh, next gen it was all kind of a mauve. I think that was kind of brilliant in a way cuz it wasn't really of that time period cuz it was coming out of the 80s into the 90s and the 80s were gaudy it was more 70s that that sort of earth tone back to nature look and i think what they were trying to do with that was to say all right we're in the future but we're in a future that's we're so settled into this future that it's starting to look homey on a spaceship Hmm. they're not just making a spaceship like a submarine or something yeah, they're making got it that. for families and stuff. So it has a uh, element of design and and artisticness to it, mm-hmm. rather than just the artisticness of the sheer practical shape of it. You know, so I yeah. think they tried to make it as some place. It, it almost reminded me of the equivalent of the '70s vans with the shag carpeting and stuff. I almost figured that they had <laughs> shag carpeting in a lot of. <laughs> the Enterprise D. Well, I'm sure in the ready room there was some shag. Carpet. Oh yeah, but uh, yeah, I, and they have that. There's that that wooden uh, railing that goes across the bridge. Yep, yep. And that's that's almost out of place, but it's almost a kind of a. It almost makes it look like a seafaring vessel. Well, that's that what point. I was thinking, like a tribute to earlier seafaring ships. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, but there so there is some real wood in there, and there's real wood again. The the automatic power doors to the ten forward are wooden. Yeah, but uh, so far the comics have all used they go, brighter colors to describe the inside of it and stuff. Yeah, they go to the standard comic book palette. Yep, yep. And they could do they could do more with it. They really could. And uh, page fourteen, second to last panel. Please explain to me the positioning of Jordy LaForge. What is he a hunchback? <laughs> Did he throw his arm out of his socket to get out of a straitjacket like Riggs? Yeah, it's a, that's an awkward kiss. It's almost it reminds me of times where I've had like a girlfriend who had a bad back, and we were doing <laughs> doing weird little things to like pull her spine back into position or something more than like to make out, you know. But yeah, you know he's odd. getting some because the visor comes off. That's right. Girls don't right. like eyewear, even if it's the only thing that enables you to see it all. <laughs> well, they'd rather you not. <laughs> You're a little too up close. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. There's a porn from Jordy's point of view through his visors. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that that would be... Uh, I don't know that that, that doesn't that, exist, actually. That's... That's almost like predator porn, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know if that doesn't exist either. I would not count that out either. <laughs> right now, probably Hair Metal Heroes saying, those bastards, they've watched the predator porn just like me. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'll be Googling it after this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Scott Gardner's listening right now. He's on the webpage. I like when you have a whole group full of nerds and the conversation goes that way and you can hear all the little click click clicks all going (laughs) at the same time 
wait a minute, is that for real? Is that a real thing? Hang on. Look this up. But yeah, the uh, overall, I thought the story of the episode was a little thin, but at least it really moved. Uh, I thought the story of the comic was extraordinarily thin. And I guess it moved because I did kind of go at one point, wow, I'm nine pages in. What happened? Yeah, yeah. So, I it mean, I guess moves, it moved, but too. not much really happens in it. Nothing happens in that episode. Well, one thing happened. They rescue the people. Yeah. And Jordy, and Jordy gets him, him that's some. That's by page three. Yeah. Well, and it takes him like it. three or four pages to rescue him because there was uh, two pages of, of pressure and Jordy talking about his feelings. Yes. Potentially before she shows up. There's a lot of Jordy talking about his... Yeah, and I think they really give Jordy short shrift by making him basically like 10 years old and this just like, my girlfriend's here and all you guys want to do is ruin it. All you guys get laid all the time and now I'm going to get laid and you guys are getting right in the middle of it. It's it's kind of Anakin-like. <laughs> <laughs> well, now you know why he talks down to the little kids on Reading Rainbow. <laughs> pure frustration that's right the my i just wish you know i don't know maybe i look at it differently than than the comic book companies or whatever but man when you have a property like star trek it just seems like you would want to play the a game with it you know well especially this early in the run mm -hmm. but I, I and it may be and see how this sounds it may be that they couldn't get the A guys to, to produce these things because of, I don't know, lack of residuals or something. I know like the Star Wars novels, they, they get buyouts. They don't get residuals. They get, here's your, you know, here's what you get paid to do the novel. Go away. You never get another penny off of it. And so the other guys, maybe the A guys don't want to do the licensed stuff. But I, can it's not see, but I could see like in the gold key days... Mm -hmm. In like the early days of Star Wars comics, you know, you're scaring up guys who don't know anything about it. You know, Carmine Infantino's like, okay, give me some drawings. I'll draw some pictures of this stuff or whatever. <laughs> but by and the time Star Trek like The it, Next but... Generation comes, you should have whole bunches of comic book artists and writers. It just seems like there would be so many hardcore Star Trek fans populating DC or Marvel comics for that matter because Marvel's yeah. run was you know Scott Gardner covered those but he you know he did them in the quickest way possible because they were mostly for the most part pretty horrible you're talking about the Marvel the motion picture era run yeah of the yeah, original for the most series part, they stuff. are bad and uh, it just doesn't make and you you end up a lot of times now I'll say this for the next generation comics they do get the patter of it and the characters right a lot of the time and the feel of it. Like the character moments in this are, are maybe not in this comic particularly, but they're typical of the TV show. You know, Data's laughing inappropriately, you know, just yeah. little day-to-day -day character moments and stuff like that and the way the characters talk and, and, and react. But the story doesn't hold together like that. It's just the, the mm. odd moment. And and these next generation comics get that better. The art's a little bit better. But 
man, you would think that that you would have people who just hold Star Trek in the highest regards. If I was if I was writing a Star Trek comic, I would feel such a crush of responsibility. Oh yeah, to to, to stay up to certain levels. I you know maybe I'll maybe I'm being unrealistic in the in the pressures to also produce a monthly comic. I should know. I I have to produce you know my four to six podcasts per month and yeah, get them out. Yeah, out. And and oh yeah, and I definitely have to make <laughs> compromises to do it. You know all the time. So yeah, I do one a week, and I don't know how you guys can get through it. They're, Barely. <laughs> yeah, doing. I'm doing one a week, and I'm going. Jesus Christ, what is up with these guys who can crank it out? It's like you guys are the Kevin J. Anderson of of uh, podcasting, and I'm uh, Thomas Harris or something. <laughs> you know, I'm cranking out a novel every six years, and you guys are writing fifteen a year. Yeah, but you know, we can go quantity. We can have the quantity over quality well, <laughs> argument I don't, too. I don't. I don't know that I can win that one either, though. <laughs> All I know is with dinner for geeks, I I just know that there's podcast. All the people listening to that that do podcast too, just the the they they envy that format so bad. It's just a, the greatest format. You, yeah, well, it's brilliant yeah. because you get to sit down with your friends and eat food too. Yes, and podcasts at the same time, and we don't have to take extensive notes beforehand. Right, right, and I mean, there, you know, we bring stuff to the table a lot, but literally. we don't. Yeah, see, yeah, literally to the table, but we don't. Uh, you know, we don't. There's not a lot of pre-show prep. Well, in a lot of it. ways, it's it's so funny because it's very. And I was reading. A bunch of they were I think they were iTunes reviews of Two True Freaks that ended up migrated on to someplace else. But there was one that was focused on it was somebody obviously who who came in through Dinner for Geeks and that was their favorite show. And they were like, Yeah, I like the other shows, but Dinner for Geeks is uh one for me. It's different than the rest of the shows that here whereas it's this format and stuff. But in a way, even though it is different in format and the way it's carried out than pretty much all the rest of our shows it's almost like the perfect two true freaks format well good because i think what it boils down to with two true freaks is people don't listen to us i don't think for information (laughs) if they do they're (laughs) really coming to the wrong place and they they don't i don't even think they listen for like strong opinion or anything i think they listen to just hear people like people having a regular nerd conversation yeah about the stuff they love so that so your show is like you can't do anything but that in that show in that format it's great well my favorite things are when we get into arguments uh-huh and i just i i always say and you're in a public place so the argument can only go so far that's <laughs> yeah. always good too and it's gotten loud a few times uh-huh uh, but yeah, that the, the thing about the I always say that a sign of a good podcast is you wind up talking back to it. Uh huh. And so when people sometimes I get an email from somebody who'll say, you know, I talked back to your podcast, and I thought, yes, that's what I want to hear because I do that. Golly, Star Wars Monthly Monday, I am on the show with you guys. When <laughs> when Star Wars Monthly Monday comes out every month, you don't know it, but I'm doing the show with you. 
We ought to we ought to have a second Star Wars Monthly Monday that we just send out to people to talk back at. <laughs> yeah. Record it, dub it on the top comment. of it, put it out. All right, direct, here's like the part where Chris commentary. comes up with probably the one of the stupidest ideas of the entire Two True Freaks run, putting a commentary track on top of an already recorded podcast. Listen to this. I'm writing that down. I'm writing that down. <laughs> what a moron. Jesus has got his head so far up a, his own ass. Public, All right. It's hard to figure out what we're yeah, going to do Yeah, see, babble, babble about himself. <laughs> All right. Just an Something for you guys idea. to look forward to, though, because we'll think yes. of something. <laughs> yes. And I'm sure it's not anything we'll come up with ahead of time. So. No. <laughs> <laughs> but um, another highlight of this comic, the mm-hmm. back cover. Ah, yes. Tango and Cash. Yes. A movie I've never seen. Well, its reputation precedes it. I think I didn't see it, although I really, it seems in that time period I would have seen this movie. Because I wasn't really a big Sylvester Stallone fan past Rocky One. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, since since then, I think I like Copland. That mm. Copland he was in, and for the most part he's been pretty awkward, even in the other Rocky movies. Although I used to go see all those too, but I love um, Kurt Russell. I've always Kurt Russell's always been one of my favorite movie actors. Yeah, yeah. I I I love, with the exception of five, I enjoy all the Rocky movies. Uh, I love two. I love three. I can deal with four. Uh, the sixth one I thought was really good, although Rocky was that Rocky looked- Balboa. Yeah, but he looked more like Liza Minnelli because he's had all the plastic <laughs> yeah, surgery. Yeah, I know. That's you see, nowadays he and Schwarzenegger look so bizarre. Yeah. That it's hard to see them even as acting in a role as just they're almost like these weird robot versions that they've brought out now. <laughs> I didn't see the second Expendables, but the first Expendables um, I thought Stallone pulled it off pretty good. The scene with Schwarzenegger was mighty awkward. It was just kind of thrown in there. Yeah. They did. At least they got out of it well. He wants to be president. <laughs> he's but, still. He's. He felt. It felt more like a visit by the governor than yeah. a visit by Schwarzenegger, or ideally a visit by whoever the character was he was supposed to be playing. I think he was supposed to be playing Schwarzenegger. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> With the CIA. Yeah, no, no. But that's all he ever plays. What am I talking about? But um, you see, that's he's the Conan thing is, everything. though, I wish he's he and Stallone are actually really good actors. Stallone even more so than Schwarzenegger, I think. Yeah. Yet I, it, they, it's it's weird. Stallone, they both seem very focused on their franchises. And that well, but the, Stallone will give you this weird left turn. I mean, I remember summer of '83. The only movie I saw over and over and over again was Return of the Jedi. But there was this other movie opening up, Staying Alive, the sequel to Saturday Night Fever, and Stallone directed that. Oh, that's right. And it's kind of why in the world are you directing the sequel to Saturday Night Fever? You just did Rocky Three. You're doing great. What is this? Well, Saturday Night Fever though was huge was huge and it was actually you know i mean they was it paul schrader who directed that no it was uh i think it was john badham john badham yeah 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 
and uh, so it was like it was kind of a gritty movie. That mm-hmm. all the you know it's it, it cracks me up about stuff like that because people remember that movie and they remember the sort of gaudy glitz of him dancing and stuff, but that was just in there to counterpoint like how crummy his life was. was the only yeah. pu- point in is so theoretically the sequel to that movie had some prestige to it you know so i think maybe stallone was thinking yeah i'll gonna do a serious you know well, continuation of this and yeah we know how that turned out though <laughs> not too good no but it's just it's just odd because i wouldn't there's a there's this strange people see stallone and they see rocky and rambo and there's this strange depth of intellect there that that people don't get out of that guy, mm-hmm. and and he unfortunately for him has had trouble finding ways to express it. Well, he's so uh, he's had a lot of control over being Rocky and Rambo. He's, That's true. He's embraced being both of those. So the hole that he's in is not because Hollywood has cast him in that. He's he's cast him in South in that because it pays huge amounts of money no true but i mean at the same time this is the guy who wrote fist yeah 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 which which was you know it was a it was a fairly complex drama well yeah and and i remember seeing copland and was just like thinking to myself this is going to be his breakthrough role and i Mm -hmm. was thinking this is like the first step the next step will be him in in like a Quentin Tarantino movie where he'll figure <laughs> yeah. out how to use him in his current form as both action and his acting chops, you know, and stuff like that. But it never happened. No. Yeah, Copland just kind of sat there, which surprised me, too. It got good critical response, and that was yep. about it. Yep. I thought that was going to be it was going to be that quiet hundred million dollar movie, and it just didn't happen. No. I'm going to have to dig that up and watch that again. Yeah. I've got a list now. I'm, I'm <laughs> Idiocracy in Copland. Oh, that I was the other thing. I Idiocracy again. <laughs> see, and I've never seen I need to see it. I oh, jeez. Oh, yeah. Oh, treat yourself. But I was going to say with, the, with Stallone. Oh, what the hell was I going to say with Stallone? Oh, for years, I don't know if you remember this or not, but for years he had this pet project he wanted to write and direct himself starring as Edgar Allan Poe. Oh, yeah, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Edgar Allan Poe is such a little wimpy little guy. It would be very interesting. You know, I could see Johnny Depp playing Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah, in a heartbeat. A wasted, like, absinthe addict. Yeah. But uh, that sounds... you know that sounds like the kind of crazy thing that you hear but then sometimes when it happens in reality it's just like oh of course that makes perfect sense yes nobody would have ever guessed it (laughs) no i think he's still talking about trying to make it but obviously he's way past being yeah Oh, jeez. i heard something about schwarzenegger was filming the sequel to twins yeah, they've been talking about that for a little while now, yeah. I think there may be a female triplet involved in the mix. Oh, dear 
the, the I'm trying to remember who it would be though. There were there were rumors of it he was gonna do Conan the King too. Yeah, oh yeah, they Conan were talking about that for August 20 years. Days. Yeah. I would I would go for that, especially since uh the Conan remake didn't seem to uh to uh set the world on fire. No, might all. as well revert back to the old stuff. Speaking of which, just as just a tangent even further, before we were talking, I was <laughs> just started watching. Someone made a movie called Our Remake of RoboCop, and it's a whole really? bunch of different people. It's comedy, and it's it's not for the faint-hearted. There's a penis shooting scene in it that's uh, ah. horrifying, with squibs. Uh, where, where they, you know, well, you know the scene in in RoboCop where he shoots between the woman's dress, yeah, and shoots the guy in the crotch. It just takes it to its the most ridiculous level, and it's every scene is shot by a different filmmaker or group, and they've <laughs> hacked it all together. And some of them are just ridiculous recreations of the movie with babies, and others are people take it into a skit. And and stuff. It's very, it's very. I'm about halfway through it, but uh, huh. it was made in response to uh, RoboCop being remade. Yeah, the, apparently RoboCop has been remade with a Batman suit on. Yeah. The Batman movie suit. That's what it looks like. The preliminary reviews don't sound too promising. They sound like all the other remakes. Like you would go to see it and walk out and go like, "Well, that was acceptable." Yeah, but what was the point? Yeah, and then go watch the original and enjoy the hell out of it. Now, if you're going to go see something in the next week or two, I'm telling you, it's a Lego movie. Uh, once again, something that I would never expect to be good. <laughs> the Lego movie is so clever and so much fun, uh, and it's just and it's nonstop. Well, I shouldn't have expected it not to be good because... Legos are amazing. They're like yeah. one of the most amazing toys of all time. They never fail to to get, you know, they're like Cheerios. They're one of those things that if if there's kids around, there's probably some Legos somewhere on the floor to step on. Yeah. And there's probably some greasy Cheerios in a in a <laughs> plastic bag, you know, being carried around as snacks. Yeah. Cuz they always work. And the Lego video games were always and and this can I, okay to just to just to try, loosely tie the tangent back. Okay. The the Lego games treated franchises the way I'd like to see the comics treat them. Um, yes. Th- th- not really with a lot of with, with well with yes with a lot of respect they're irreverent, but they they put their A game into the into the games and they put a lot they put an eye for detail. Yep. And for fun in it. And I should have figured that that would translate into the movie, too. Yeah, and it does. And again, it is just, it is so fun because it's, it's got everything just about that Lego has a license for is in that movie. Which uh, are some of my favorite nerd things in the world. Yeah. I wish they had there. a Star Trek license and then it would be maybe too much. <laughs> you could tell, ta- I would have. Technically, the Lego with Star Wars and Star Trek characters meeting together, it would be brain blowing. Yes, I'd, I'd go for it. But that's you know. But you said Han and Chewie are in it. 
Yeah, well, that's again. That's is it the Harrison fun Ford's thing. voice? He's the only one that didn't show up for it. Oh. He's the only one that it was not him. But Lando steps up and starts talking, and it's plainly Billy D. Williams. Oh. Anthony Daniels is back. Um, oh, and- Will Arnett is Batman. Oh, geez, that's funny. And Will Arnett is so good as that Batman. And maybe the best Batman we've seen on screen in years. Wow. Um, and and the Superman's good, though not really extensively used. And Green Lantern's great. Uh, it's And Shaquille O'Neal is in it. Lego Shaquille O'Neal. And, uh, it's just, and Gandalf is in it. And Dumbledore. And it's just... It's fantastic. Are Dumbledore and Gandalf together at any yes. point? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yes. I don't want to know any more than that. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it, the funny thing about it is, and the way it happens and the way it unfolds, it is really, you know, I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, I would mash up everything. Yes. Yes. And I would find a way to Battlestar Galactica met Star Trek, met Star Wars, got involved with the black hole, Batman shows up. Yep. Same thing. Space giants are in there as well, but they're not. They're not in the Lego movie. Oh, I'm sold. <laughs> but it is. It they mash them up like the kid, like a kid would when he's playing. And that's the beauty of the movie. It's almost like a, just an insane kid's playtime. Oh, oh, good. Because that's that's one thing that keeps me away from kids' movies. A lot of times is the formula of the stories of them. Yeah. It drives this, me this, nuts sometimes. Yeah. And this thing just goes places you don't expect it to go. And the voice talent is insane too. Like I said, Will Arnett's in it, but Liam Neeson is in it and Morgan Freeman is in it. And again, Billy D and Anthony Daniels. And there's just a slew of just really fun voice talents in it. I did not sell the Scott Gardner with the Liam Neeson, but everything else sounds great. <laughs> It's uh, it's. I thought it was really worthwhile. Now you go see it, and you come back, and you go, "That was shit." But I'm just telling you, I thought I thought it was a very enjoyable movie. I'm an, I'm easy. It's it's hard for me to to come back from a movie and go, "It was shit." It takes <laughs> it takes Zack Snyder level of suckageness usually to do that. Yeah. But that's a tr- that's a troll for another. <laughs> yes, it is. Podcast. Yes, it is. <laughs> You let me know when you're ready for that one, and I'm there. Oh, I don't know. I think I blew my wad with the commentary. Between the commentary and having arguments with it uh, about it on Facebook, I think I've oh, yeah. blown all my bile that I possibly could. <laughs> it's all just academic after that. <laughs> well, yes. I think I've said all I can say about this comic, especially since... Uh, the most we've gotten out of it is a tangent off Sylvester Stallone. Nothing happened to the comic. I, I know. You know, you kind of have to go somewhere else. Yep. Some people beamed aboard the Enterprise. Jordy and they look got better than they thought they would. Kid pointed at Data. <laughs> a kid pointed at Data. That's about it. And a little kid, I guess, with the equivalent of a kid's, you know, when they used to put the kids in sailor suits. Yeah. He's yes. kind of got the Starfleet sailor suit equivalent. Yes, he's like the rich kid in the Little Rascals <laughs> shows. <laughs> but other than that, nothing really happened. There's some very geographically Im- or, or, or biologically impossible human positions that are gotten into. That's uh, that's standard. Uh, one thing we've noticed with... Uh, 
There's not a lot of Picard in this episode, but um, um, what is it? Pa Pablo Marcus mm -hmm. likes to draw Picard with Geonosian neck. <laughs> really? Yeah, he has a tendency. Well, he has a oh, tendency yeah, no, to give yeah. all his characters big necks, pa but Picard usually gets 11. the brunt of it. Page 11. Second to last panel. You take a look oh, at that yeah. Picard. Oh, yeah. He's like a chess piece or something. <laughs> or he's like an action figure where you push down his head and his arm comes up or something. Yeah. Yeah, that's bad. Yep. Sometimes you luck out and you get Carmen, Carmine Infantino who specializes in boobs. Yeah. And then this time you get Pablo Marcus who's just like Picard necks. And, and it's also oh, as if Pablo's just going, just let me get through this. <laughs> Two panels before the giant neck on Picard, you get uh, the shrunken-headed Riker. Well, think about drawing this. It's a lot of... It, there's a lot of people sitting around tables talking. Yes. Or standing in rooms talking or sitting next to each other on the couch and talking. Yep. And ba basically, I'm flipping through this, and it is... It, it, at one point, at least, he had some people talking while they do a little workout. Yeah, so there's, but there's a little just action talking. there, but it this yeah this entire comic actually is is people just having conversations with each other. Yes, it is. Yeah, like I said, nothing happens. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing how nothing happens. I mean, there's there's more nothing than you could ever imagine putting into a comic book. <laughs> Back then, the page count, if I'm not mistaken, standard DC page count was 23 pages. 23. They, they had to go 24 on this book to put that much nothing in there. You're right. Oh, my God. They had an, had an extra page of nothing. Yeah, and really, actually, that page, they could have whipped off this page, that page at the end of the last page. Yeah. Well, one more page for your for your $1.50. Yes. Um, oh, another another thing to mention that looked like it was good. I've never read it. Uh, there's an ad for a Shadow and Doc Savage. Comic. Yes, the Conflagration Man. Yeah, that actually does look good. The weird thing is, though, that DC was always in that era really good about credits, when Marvel wasn't necessarily. Man, there's not a single credit on that ad at all. The the drawing is signed by Wiggum and Zareto. And maybe Barreto? Eduardo Barreto. Yeah. Barreto. Yeah, I think it is Barreto. It's a nice drawing. Yeah, oh, it's great, and it's and it's a great embodiment of both of those characters. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, oh, apparently it looks like at the bottom. So they had a Shadow book and a Doc Savage book. Yep. at that time I never they certainly that. did I, I was in college at the time and I had a buddy who was the trifecta he was a Star Trek shadow Doc Savage guy oh geez. so I was I was on top of all that and the, I forgot there's a, the ad for the Superman flash race 1990 another thing that I didn't know happened yep was that any good uh you know I didn't I didn't buy that one I had to be selective. I was broken in college. It looks like a, it, it looks like a throwback. Well, it's definitely a throwback to the old comic. Actually, you know raced, what? But you know what? I actually I was buying Superman at that point. I'll bet I did have that. 
I don't remember it, but I am 90% sure I was buying Superman at that point, so I must have that somewhere. It looks actually fun, unlike a lot of the superhero comics of this time that, mm-hmm. that I was staying away from. Yeah, well, there was reason for that. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just actually reading a lot of these comics from this time period now, and I'm glad I am now because I'm able to sort of pick and choose and get them through my friends' filters, you know, so I don't have to... Every once in a while, forget Chris to read a goddamn comic book, they'll toss me some 90s monstrosity. (laughs) Yeah, I think this is kind of the close of that optimistic era before it got really bad. Because this is 90. This is... They've got the ad for Batman coming out on video cassette as well. And if you remember, that was in the era when an only certain movies came through at what they called sell-through, which was most video cassettes. The retail price was seventy nine ninety eight or eighty nine ninety eight, and only a very few special movies would come out at twenty nine ninety eight. Oh yeah, our our last uh, Star Trek Monthly Monday was that they, they, they had or it had to be two Star Trek Monthly Mondays ago when we did our last Star Trek: The Next Generation comic. It had the Batman ad in it. And this was in the time period where Scott worked retail in a mm. video shop. So he had horror stories. <laughs> oh, yeah. About, he, he had a few good horror stories around that. Well, we, I, I worked, actually, I worked in Camelot at that time. So, I, yeah, I've got my stories about it, uh-huh. too. And I remember, I remember us not being able to keep that Batman t-shirt in stock. And we would get insane numbers of boxes of them and they would just disappear a Batman t-shirt is one of the most iconic things yeah <laughs> two of my co-workers showed up to work yes, yesterday yeah yesterday mm-hmm. in Batman t-shirts <laughs> uh, unplanned you know one of them has a Awkward. Batman tattoo on her leg so wow yeah and they're, that's gonna be I don't want to say they're normal people, but they're more, you know, they're not in the nerd world that I am. <laughs> they're straights. Right, right. But they, okay. but even the straights hold Batman in the highest esteem. <laughs> well, they'll enjoy the Lego movie, too, because there's a lot of great Batman moments in it. I just, I just blew their mind and told them about the existence of the Mask of the Phantasm, which they'd never heard of. Oh. Yeah. Ooh. So I can't wait to hear... You know, they're all big fans of the Nolan stuff because they're all in their 20s and stuff, and that's the the Batman they saw. I'm very curious to see. But they're also big fans of the animated Batmans and stuff, so they also are aware of different versions of him. So very interested to see what they think of Mask of the Phantasm. Yeah, they'll go nuts. They'll go nuts in a heartbeat. But then again, I send people to movies all the time telling them it's great and then... (laughs) <laughs> have them come back and go what did you just do to me as I'm doing tonight with the Lego yeah I don't know but it's <laughs> there's something going on with that because that like broke out onto Rotten Tomatoes with like 99% or something like that and that's pretty impressive 
Yeah, it was 97 when we went to go see it because I checked the tomato meter right before I went in. Yeah, usually you can't hold that 99 for more than no. like a day. <laughs> no, because somebody's going to piss on the party. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's people who specialize in that. They're like, 99? Yes. Ah, now I get the hits. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. Everybody's coming guy. to me for the splotch rather than the green. Yep, exactly. And uh, no, it's it's definitely worth it. It's... It's just a, a very fun movie. On my agenda after Idiocracy and <laughs> maybe Tango and Cash. <laughs> <laughs> and the visuals, I will also say the visuals are amazing because literally everything in the movie has to be able, even though it's CG, it's it all, their rule for making it was everything has to be able to be made out of Legos. Oh, of course it so. is. And even, I mean, even the gunfire and the explosions are all Lego. Oh my God, they're going to be able to to market Lego Lego movies. Oh it's yeah, it's going to go meta now. Oh yeah. Now they'll oh, have yeah. now they'll be able to cross all their sets too. Have they not already made? Uh, don't they already make a Lego Movie Maker software? Yes. Yes, they do. But now they'll have sets based on the movie, you know. Yes. They'll have sets with Gandalf and Dumbledore in them and stuff like that. It's brilliant. <laughs> they should, because it was that was all worth it I'm, to me. I'm all for it because in the land of garage sale, Legos are like they're just the the old standby, and sometimes you strike it rich and get that Star Wars set, you know, here and there. Ooh. Ooh. Not in a couple years though. People are wised up to that, but every once in a while, a lot of time, I I love the parents. I hate the parents if they're my parents, but I hate the parents who, or I love the parents who are like, well, time to clean out Junior's room while he's at summer camp. Yes. That's where I come in. (laughs) And if you want it, I'll sell it back to you. I've become that person I would have hunted down as a little kid and killed. (laughs) I did that to Jeff. Uh, who's on dinner for geeks with us? Uh, his mom was having a garage sale. Him? No, yeah, well, there's that. <laughs> his mom, he was away, and his mom had a garage sale, and I went and bought a bunch oh, of his Star Wars. No, shit. <laughs> he lived right across the street oh. from me, so I just walked over. <laughs> My stuff now, Jeffy yeah. Boy. Oh yeah, I bought. We had a uh, <laughs> when when they put Star Wars Trivial Pursuit out. I had a little, I won't call it a party, but I had a get-together where we divided, had a bunch of Star Wars geeks come over and we divided into teams, and I used as the tablecloth uh, a Star Wars blanket that I bought at that garage sale that had been his, and he walked in and went, wait a minute, that's mine. Not Not anymore, pal. (laughs) 25 cents later, it's mine. (laughs) We could negotiate a return price. It's not going to be pretty. No, no. Well, I'm tempted to take it out, but it's kind of weird taking it out on a Star Wars note. But <laughs> that's what I get for having a guest on. Scott Sorry Gardner never would have, <laughs> never would have let this happen. Now you got to understand. I, I, I first went to work 19 hours ago, so. Yeah, you know, my I, concentration's not where it should be. I've been doing a lot of podcasts like that where I've come come in after an eleven or twelve hour shift, and like, 
gotten home and done a podcast, which is is good in some ways and bad in other ways. Yeah. Well, you're still rambling on whatever energy you had, but at the same time, the focus is maybe yes. a little off. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, how do you want to bring it back around then? Oh, we don't have to. <laughs> oh, well, I thought we <laughs> it's like it's like one of those commercials with, with the car dealership where it's where like the boss is out of town, and now the employees get to do whatever they want. They've gone crazy. It's assistant editor's month. It's, Don't say we didn't warn you. Uh, cats and dogs living together, <laughs> talking Star Wars on the Star Trek monthly Monday. Oh no! It all happens. Yeah, all the all the lines get crossed and the taboos get broken. Yes. And it's okay. It just it just helps spur Scott to get his computer fixed. <laughs> There might be a fun drive for that. <laughs> we might yeah. have a Jerry Lewis telethon on that. So, Well, if you could sell more Amazon.com dildos, maybe you could get him a computer. I know. So, oh, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a very good point, Scott Rifon, that you just Thank put you. out right there, is that we have an Amazon site where you can indeed buy all kinds of dildos and you can buy <laughs> Obi-Wan Kenobi action figures that yes. you can use as dildos. <laughs> Um, I, I finding out on our Amazon site, finding out that yeah, you can buy pretty much anything you want on Amazon.com, and there's the obvious stuff that we like you to buy, like your Star Trek and your Star Wars things. But yes, some of those other things, you know, from baby food to making baby products, they're all there. Um, mind you, I'm gonna see them. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you guys buy, so those most personal items, but I don't know who buys them. So, little piece of advice. So, when I put the pictures up on the Facebook page of 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 your of your items, if it's a horribly personal item, all you have to do is not speak up and nobody'll know. <laughs> <laughs> or be the first to mock it. Yes, yes. <laughs> throw the scent off <laughs> that's probably not the right phrase yeah, to use, but. Yeah. <laughs> but i'm very pleased that you people feel comfortable shopping on our amazon site for i just i just think it's great that when they think two true freaks they think dildos on amazon <laughs> yeah, dildos on the radio dildos on pot amazon <laughs> connection gets made I don't. I don't care. It was still a couple bucks in our pocket, so. That's right. <laughs> well, thanks again for for coming in here at short notice and after a hard days a hard day of work, rode hard no, and I put away it. wet. No, I loved it. I was. Uh, I'm tickled pink. You guys asked me. Well, you didn't actually ask me to. You just sent out a call, and I was the only one who answered it. So, I'm tickled pink that I was the only one who answered it. How's that? I'm glad you made it. And when I told <laughs> Scott Gardner you're on you, he said, Ooh, good choice. And I nice. didn't tell him that I didn't choose either. <laughs> <laughs> well, now he knows. Well, the cat's out yeah. of the bag. It wasn't yeah. wasn't my idea, but I'll take cre- I'll take full credit for it. Hey, go for it. Anytime you can do. And I will. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks again. And just to bring it out on the right note, I'm just going to say Star Trek, Star Trek, Star Trek.
You can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode. With your message read in the show's opener, it's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, 2TrueFreaks gets a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual and help out the 2TrueFreaks at the same time. Welcome to Amazon. I love you. Visit our brand new website at 2TrueFreaks.com. 2TrueFreaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. Join our forum at ForumForGeeks.com, where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find 2TrueFreaks on Facebook. Just search for 2TrueFreaks. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook, too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook, too, if you can find me. Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two Two True True Freaks. We were finally invited aboard one of these spacecraft which landed near Ann Arbor, Michigan, on October the 24th of 1954. This is a drawing of the craft. As I was leaving the craft, the commander, Soltek, said, soon others of your people will be able to have an experience similar to this. All right. So I guess we might as well just move on to our our next section, unless you have to stop and take a piss or anything like that. No, I'm good. Excellent. I'm here. I'm not drinking any energy drink this this time, so I don't. You got to remember. Break. You got to remember, Chris. I'm a professional. That's I right. Took a leak before I got started with this. <laughs> well, I thought you were going to say you had a gallon jug in the studio with you. <laughs> <laughs> Just like a trucker. Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> the gouging of the eyes commences. <laughs> I, you know, sometimes I'm suspicious of some of these podcasters. I've been talking to them and heard a suspicious, like, <sighs> you know what I mean? But I, I, I never, I've just never. You don't ask. It. Yeah, I don't ask. It's yep. not right to ask. <laughs> you know, that's, you know, what's funny is when I go on the radio, people will send me emails, that kind of thing. Hey, did you enjoy your dinner at Marshside Grill? I saw you there, but I didn't want to come up and say anything to you. And that it, you know, on the one hand, it's a little bit creepy, but on the other hand, I always tell people, come say hey, because I want to talk to you and I want to know 
And I and I always go in the air and make sure I tell people, come say hello to me because, oh. you know, I I've got my ratings are my ratings are stupid high. So I know that there are a lot of listeners. I know there are a lot of people talking about the show and listening to the show. And I but I do. I'm interested in hearing. Here's the problem. Last week, twice, I'm in the bathroom, no, at a restaurant, at two different restaurants, and some guy comes up to the urinal next to me and starts talking to me oh. about the show. All right, let's just two full paws in one. Yeah, you just just don't. You could be, you could be a maniac. You could be Senator Craig. I don't know. You could have a wide stance. You only do that when you're like in RoboCop and you're going to intimidate someone or something. <laughs> Start talking in their ear while you're pissing in the urinal and stuff like oh, that. Oh God, yeah. I just uh that's. <laughs> I just, I, I had to go, I went on the air Monday and I just said, guys, we can't do this. I, you can come up and talk. I love talking to people. I love talking to listeners, hearing what they have to say, but not in the bathroom. That's the one place. Potty kit is very important to me. You know, there's the one space rule too. You've got three urinals. Yeah. And you're, you, you always go to one on the far side, left or right. You don't go to the middle. And then if somebody else comes in, it is their duty to take the farthest one away from you. If there are two urinals available, you don't go to the one next to the guy who's using one. Right. You give them a space. You start from either end, and then you start filling in from the middle after that. Yeah, exactly. And some people just, I don't understand why in this day and age, some guys don't get that. It's kind of the the, the guy one-seat space in the movie theater rule. If two guys go to the movie theater by themselves, you got to leave a seat between the two of you. See, I have a theory about the pissing thing. What's that? The the and the whole stage fright with pissing and like oh yeah guys not liking to be around each other. I think that when you're pissing, it's from back in you know primordial times that when you're pissing, your guard is down. You know you're ah you you're concentrating on that, so your body just doesn't want to wants to do it as much as possible when you're alone. So you're afraid of an attack. There, there could be, yeah, any kind of potential attack. So if there's any attention being paid to you whatsoever, your body is he- hesitant to evacuate because you'll get because you get caught up. It's distracting. <laughs> we'll strike when the urine's wet. Yes, exactly. I don't, uh, yeah, I don't know. That might have been a traditional thing. I don't know. That's just what I like to think. 